0: Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. These panels have been made possible thanks to Double Exposure and their game design convention, Metatopia, at Metatopia Online 2020. These panels have also been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and moderators at this event. Now, let's get to it. Episode 309, Getting Your First RPG Published. Presented by Jason Walters, Mo Poplar, Darren Watts, April Walsh, and Jonathan Lavallee. Hey everyone, uh, welcome to day two of Metatopia, the three o'clock panel. Welcome to getting your first RPG published. Uh, I'm going to be the moderator. My name is Jonathan Levine. I'm a game designer for 17 years, uh, published the uh, w- w- uh, recent game I'm working on is uh, We Used to Be Friends. Uh, and I'll let all our in- panelists introduce themselves. April.
1: Hi, I'm April Walsh. I'm the designer of the Thirsty Sword Lesbians RPG, which is kickstarting on uh, right now uh, for another couple of days. So head on over to swordlesbians.com if you are interested in telling stories that celebrate queer people and queer joy in any setting where swords cross and hearts race. You can also find it at Sword.Gay. Um, I am Gay Spaceship Games. You can find me at Gay Spaceship on Twitter and uh, Gay Spaceship GMS on Twitter. Uh, when I'm not designing RPGs, I'm a civil liberties attorney at a nonprofit fighting for your rights, trying to save this world. So, um, sword lesbian, sword lesbian,
0: all of the above. <laughs> awesome. Okay, Darren, please.
2: Uh, hi, my name is Darren Watts. I uh, used to own or co-own Hero Games and Indie Press Revolution. I got out of the owning things business about uh, 10 years ago now and work primarily freelance. For uh, I've worked for Star Trek and Doctor Who, and uh, I'm currently working mostly for Greater Than Games on the uh, Sentinels of the Universe, uh, Sentinels of the Multiverse uh, comic books uh, role playing game. Um, I also uh, run the Explain This Comics Guys podcast, and I am a founder of Metatopia and uh, ran the panel and Seminar track. So I put myself on this one because it sounded like fun. So, Awesome.
3: OK, Mo, please. My name is Mo. I'm from Oakland. <laughs> I'm a uh, recovered hero gamer. And uh, my penance is I'm designing games now. Uh, just released uh, Shibuya Nights, a anime, steampunk, fantasy RPG uh, built on the Fortune of Dark mechanics. And uh, yeah, happy to be here.
0: Awesome. And Jason?
4: Hi, I'm Jason Walters. I'm the current general manager of Indie Press Revolution and Hero Games, uh, with Indie Press Revolution being a specialty distributor of small press role-playing games.
0: Awesome. All right. So we're going to jump right into just some discussion. And the first thing we wanted to talk about is before you even get your game published, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about playtesting and and just how important it is to make sure that your game is doing what you want it to do. So, April, what's one of the biggest challenges you find with getting the game to do what you want it to do through playtesting?
1: I think there are a few different phases of playtesting that are really important. right? So I'll start with as soon as I have something that can get on the table, I'm going to bring it to the table with like my friends group, right? Like my go-to people, um, and that's really helpful, sort of like a shakedown of the mechanics. But then uh, taking it to a wider audience always reveals more, uh, more uh, ways that people can approach the mechanics and use it to tell stories. So, so my games are very uh, feelings and relationship oriented, and so you know, it's it's not enough that it sort of works if everyone is already on the same page. I play test for sort of getting people on the same page and steering them in the right direction. And when two people go at each other saying, well, how do we figure out who's better at swords? Then they realize that's not what the game is for. And 30 seconds later, one of them is screaming at the other, like, the reason none of your relationships last is because you're still in love with the pirate queen and she doesn't love you back. And I'm like, good, that's working as intended. It's steering people like into the kinds of stories and dramatic beats, beats that I want. So um, there... It's it's sort of an ongoing process, but I think it's it's pretty important to reach as broad a group as you can. Um, you know, even outside of what may be your core target audience, like who is going to be at the table with the people who are your core audience and what experiences are being shaped there. So especially, you know, getting other people to run it is really important to see, you know, how it plays when you're not there to make it happen. Um and then, and then being able to observe other folks playing is really helpful. So everyone who streamed the game while it was in uh, the various playtest phases was was doing doing a great service to making the game better. So Mo, to throw a
0: question to you: For you, when did you think your game was done and ready to get
3: into that published state? Um, I. You know, I don't like this question because I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> These are well-equipped to answer That's it. Right. <laughs> um, so I uh, I thought I was ready last summer. Um, I had lots of uh, very successful play tests. Um, I had uh, a couple other GMs running my game who came back with great questions that I felt like I was resolving. And um, I had pretty much written the entire game. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I then started laying out the book and realized there were some holes. And so um, those holes presented certain questions and some of those questions were mechanical. And so we spent a couple months going back in and uh, making sure that things were working. One of the things I really liked was um, having a lot of mechanics that weren't necessarily combat oriented to resolve issues and yeah, some of the feedback I was getting was, um, it, this works in combat, but it doesn't work if I'm just trying to deceive someone. And so, yeah, we, we, we fixed that before we went to print. <laughs>
0: well, you see, I think that speaks to a good point, right? It speaks to a point of there's never a point where you should be afraid to go, oh, we need to go back and right. go back a step, right? That, that right, you're right. That at that publishing point, you're like, no, no, wait, we, we need to take this back and it'd be okay with that to have it be a, a better product at the end.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, this is my first game. I didn't want to, you know, be out there. <laughs> up in Bearsport, so.
0: Right. Uh, and and I'll throw this, because this is a very important question. It's something that we wanted to bring up, too. So, so Darren, I'm going to throw a question at you. Uh, what was a big pitfall you've seen a lot of first-time publishers do with their playtesting?
3: Specifically
2: with their playtesting? They yeah.
0: don't, or uh, they, they don't they don't
2: compartmentalize what it is they're doing, right? Mm. You, there's a there's a tendency to kind of like say, okay, if I just put this on the table and see how it goes, uh, and then react to that, that's all I need to do for playtesting, right? And the most successful playtesters that I've seen, uh, you know, people have done it for a long time. When they sit down at the table, they have a goal in mind for that specific session. Right. We are playtesting this, this small portion of my game, right? And make sure that your players understand that so that they can provide useful feedback to that and not wander away from the thing that you're trying to do. Right. I've had playtest sessions where the players were having an absolute ball with the game, right? And it was everybody was having fun and it seemed like it would be wildly successful, except the, the game designer did not get the crucial piece of information that they had sat down to get that day, right? It's like, oh, I'm delighted everything else works, but I still haven't solved character creation or whatever the thing that I wanted to work on that day. So being able to kind of like compartmentalize the process and recognizing where you are in that process and what needs testing today, I think is a skill that every designer needs to develop in managing their playtests for every game that they do is just know where you are and what you're doing that day and not just kind of, like, leave it broadly open to, hey, did you like it? You know, I mean, that's a terrible question to ask somebody for uh, in a playtest. It's a waste of everybody's time,
0: so. Right. And Jason, I'm going to ask you a question about playtesting, too. Oh, sorry, Mo, you Mm -hmm. had a comment, if you wanted to just pop in before I ask another question.
3: Yeah, I was really fortunate. I fell in uh, to a gaming group that I wasn't looking for, but that are constantly trying off weird, quirky stuff that, you know, Happens to be like, you know, pretty innovative design stuff. So I got a lot of feedback that at first I didn't necessarily understand, but definitely made the game better.
0: Awesome. So Jason, I'm going to ask you as, as again, I know Hero Games, but in this kind of realm of IPR is, you know, when people come to you and say, "Hey, can you distribute this game?" and you see it, right? Um, how easy is it for you to tell how much playtesting something has gone into something, right? When you see it.
4: It's pretty easy, actually. <laughs> um, uh, so there's a few uh, warning signs when you're a distributor. Uh, uh, all right. I, I want to be very general because I don't want to like you know insult any creative people. <laughs> um, We're it's okay. People you can't handle it. Handle it. <laughs> I'm, <fine>. I, I'm, <laughs> well, I'm a big man. I can handle it. Hit me. So, sometimes people come to you and say, hey, I've been working for 25 years on this game. And that's an immediate warning sign. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, another one is, I have solved the problems with Dungeons & Dragons. <laughs> and this is my game. That's another warning sign.
0: Um, oh, boy, there's a lot. Uh, Throw one more at the- us. Throw a risk, us, move on to the next one.
4: Okay. The uh, biggest
0: one for you. The biggest one for you that you see that isn't kind of like... Isn't like the, the I have, I, uh, these other games suck and mine is better, right? Like, other than that, like, what's the big thing you look at and go, no, this is, you need to take this back to the drawing board. I like to see things that
4: aren't highly derivative. Um, I, I get a lot of things submitted that I, I have to turn down, but they don't seem unique and special. You know, they don't seem like they have anything that really makes them stand out uh, design-wise uh, from anything else I've seen before. Um, when I say a lot, I, I don't mean like hundreds. I mean, you know, a, a few dozen a year. IPR is pretty welcoming and accepting to most work. We take most things in. But yeah, you get a certain number of things. They're kind of derivative. They're uh, an attempt to solve problems that don't exist. Things like that. Uh, well, I, I don't mean with Dungeons and
2: Dragons. There's
4: a lot of problems that exist.
2: We that's not We make I mean. fun. We make fun <laughs> of designers who do things, like, as Jason says, of like, you know, this. Here, here is my game. It's D&D, but I fixed initiative, right? Like, that's the, the thing right, that I've right. always response. There's, that. That. Re- there's a lot of that, and we make fun of that. But really, we shouldn't, because every designer needs to go through that, right? Like, every designer's yeah. first design usually is, I am dissatisfied with an aspect of the game and maybe it wasn't D&D maybe it's i'm you know i'm dissatisfied with fate or i'm dissatisfied with powered by the apocalypse or whatever and i have designed a thing to fix the thing that bothers me about it that i'm not satisfied with right that's, that's a useful that's a exercise for right. every designer most of those uh, shouldn't get published <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> right that's no, that's, I, that's a separate I, question but the where what that serves for a young designer on their path to becoming a designer is a really valuable step that we really shouldn't mock because it's, you know, it's a key thing to learn to be able to compartmentalize rules and to be able to say, you know what, I like everything about D&D, except this, and this is why I don't like it. That's a skill, right, to be able to say that. You're going to use that skill later on when you're, at, when you, when you're actually designing something new and, and useful and important. So yeah, you Curious, probably should not I'm not looking publish to... that, but you
0: should always do it, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so I'm gonna I'm gonna hop yeah, in just I'm now. I'm to... make... Right. am gonna right just to move on to the next topic, just because we're, we're gonna we're gonna hit for a little bit of topic. I do wanna say though, just a comment on that, uh Indie Beef has created more games than yeah, right. I would like right. to right. exactly, <laughs> right? Exactly. exactly. Um so but now that you've play tested it, so you've play tested the game now you have got to where you think it is, you may have even taken a step back and come back. Let's talk about how you get it to the next level. So the first part we're gonna look at is how do you work with another publisher? We're not gonna talk about pitching. There's a lot of great panels on pitching that you can look at on the Twitch stream or, or, or recorded. We're gonna assume you've pitched, it's been beautiful, you've been accepted. So, um, uh, April, could, working on Thirsty Sword Elizabethans, working with Evil Hat, How like what does that look like when you work with a publisher?
1: Yeah. Um... So, I I wasn't sure whether I wanted to partner with a publisher or not. Um, but I had released the game on itch in beta, and people got excited about it. And Evil Hat got excited about it. Um, and so, in talking with them, uh, I was making sure that our goals were aligned. Right. So we are trying to reach a queer audience. We are prioritizing a queer audience. Um, and in part, it's just it was it was a matter of sort of getting comfortable that this would be a place um, that would be excited about the kind of game and stories that I wanted to tell. Um, and they said all the right things, and then we signed a contract, and then they did everything that they said they would do. And I was very relieved about it because you know I knew that their intentions were good, uh, but that doesn't always translate into good um, execution. So for me, what that meant was. Um, you know negotiating things like having a little bit more of a hand in art direction than a game designer necessarily does usually. Um, and um, we brought in we brought in two different uh, sensitivity consultants, but basically, I have a day job. I would not have published an RPG at least not for another few years if I weren't partnering with a publisher who knows how to do all the other stuff that's on the agenda to talk about this panel, like layout and printing things and distributing them and, like, price it. Basically, you know, like, Evil Hat will send me, like, here's what we think the pricing and stuff for the Kickstarter should be, and I'll be like, make that number 69. And that's my contribution (laughs) to, like, the the economic side of things. So... So it's it's just really been helpful, right? Like I had I have a cool game, and then they have all this knowledge and experience, as well as like connections to artists and sensitivity readers and um and experience doing kickstarters, right? I haven't done a Kickstarter before, but we're doing one, and it's it's taking off wildly. So uh, it's something I couldn't have done um, on my own. Uh, I could I could make like a cool game and print it and reach you know some people. Uh, but it's been it's been really rewarding. I don't. I fortunately don't have a horror story. I have a I have a success story to tell about um, working with a publisher. Uh, and and I I talk to a lot of people for advice as well. And some people are like, oh, you publish it yourself. You'll like make more money for yourself that way um, because like publishers carry overhead with them. Like I really won't because I just won't do it. Right? It's not going <laughs> to happen. If <laughs> I'm right. yep. not partnering with people who like, know how to do this and someone who's going to be my project manager and make sure that like I work on it regularly, um, then something is always going to be more of a crisis that I'm going to be dealing with instead. So, um, That's most of my thoughts on working with a publisher, honestly. It's been great for me.
0: Right. So Jason, as the other side, as someone who is, you know, Hero Games, and as 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 I think the really big publisher still in this conversation, what is it? What are you looking for when a first time designer comes to you with a game, right? Like or comes to you with an idea, even if it's to pitch something in Hero or something like that. Like, what are you looking for as a publisher?
4: Well, uh, a complete manuscript that requires minimal editing is always nice. <laughs> great. Okay, so beyond pipe dreams. <laughs> um um it it's good if it's something innovative uh that hasn't been done before and a lot's been done with heroes so for example when we did champions now you know ron edwards came with a pretty interesting suggestion to us which was i want to go back before the hero system back to the roots of champions in the 80s and then i the sort of grandfather of indie games which ron basically is i want to update it for modern sensibilities as Kind of more of a narrativist game, so that that was an interesting suggestion. So we went ahead with that. So, and I also knew that Ron was capable of of turning in a a mostly edited, mostly complete game with a lot of play testing. So, um, nobody can turn in almost no one can turn in a, you know a completely edited game. Yeah. You know.
0: Well, um, so so just to kind of sum that up for new people, you're probably looking at. Making sure you've done the work, right? Making sure you've done the playtesting, yeah, making done. sure you've taken the time. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. To make sure you've done that kind of groundwork to show that you're like, hey, I've, I look at all what I've done. I need your help to carry it over the line.
4: Right. Also, uh, generally speaking, a publisher wants to do... They have minimum time, and they want to do a minimum amount of work on your manuscript, on your game. They want it to be pretty much done. Uh, I'm not talking about... You know, obviously not layout, graphics, art, cover art, that sort of thing. But as as a manuscript, as a finished game, they want it done. Almost. <laughs>
0: Almost. Almost. Okay, so I'm going to just transition over here to to the doing-it-yourself conversation just a little bit. Uh, and Mo, I'm going to bring you in here because we're going to talk about, like, What's it like having to learn design? Like, because like I don't, we didn't talk about your background, so I don't know if you have a design background. But uh, <laughs> no, nope. shaking of my head. How is that? How is that as a first-time designer coming to it? Like, what is that like for art and layout and and graphic cover art, all that kind of ma- the manufacturing of the product?
3: So um, I'm fortunate that I, I've made some films before, and um, so I have a sense of the market wants to see a thing. I've never delivered a film that the market wanted to see, (laughs) but um, (laughs) I I get that that, that there there are boundaries. So, um, you know, I, before doing my Kickstarter, you know, I had to go and, you know, scrap my lunch money and um, get some art so that the Kickstarter looked like a real thing. Um, And, you know, I had live plays. I had already kind of played over some live streams and, you know, I'd done some of the groundwork to really kind of just build, some energy around the game Um, after the Kickstarter, which was successful, fortunately, um, you know, I, I knew a guy, I knew a guy (laughs) who, who, who did some corporate layout design and I reached out to him and um, he said, sure, I could do this in a weekend. And what he turned around didn't look like a game, you know? So um, it was really suddenly, you know, I had, Got my Kickstarter funds. I was ready to spend some money and I thought I had a team and my team wasn't there. So, um, you know, I'm also art directing at the same time. Um, Fortunately, I had a very clear vision of what this uh, project should look like art wise. And I was fortunate to stumble upon some great artists. Um, But, you know, I I ended up uh, reaching out and getting a referral for a designer who, you know made the game look amazing. You know, I, 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 I'm so happy with how it came out and, um, you know, it sounds ridiculous because I'm a game designer, but it looks like a real game, <laughs> you know, no, I know so, what <laughs>
2: <you>. <laughs> yeah, <totally. laughs>
3: it's, it's always a surprise Somebody when he hands people. you that the first time. Right. Yeah. Right. When, when, when people show up and like add value to what you've done, like that's how it's supposed to be. And you work with enough people after a while, you realize it's not guaranteed to be like that. (laughs) So (laughs) um, I I, I really kind of lucked out on that. Um, And then, you know, there were several rounds of editors because um, the thing I've read again and again and again is how nobody wants to buy something that has typos. Um, People want things that make mechanical sense. You know, it can't <laughs> say one thing on in this chapter and then say another thing in this chapter. And my problem is I was writing this game, you know at my weekends and evenings when I wasn't trying to keep my wife married and raise my kid, um, you know, I had written this game over two years. So um, mechanics had changed, things had changed, you know was this the right draft we're even starting from? <laughs> so, <laughs> um, you know, editing was a long, arduous process. Um, I think I ended up going through three editors in total, and um, you know, a um, couple people who've read it um, before I went to print said, you know it all makes sense and coheres and so um i'm I'm grateful, but there's a lot of work that goes into what that publishers doing, and uh, count yourself lucky April. <laughs> <laughs> well, so darren to ask
2: you that question I, I mean is- I, I, could you imagine like your first art director is Fred Hicks? That's a wonderful place to start from in the that's
1: industry. That's a right? good like, place
0: to start from. Seriously, man. Yeah.
2: I'm, I'm it, tremendously
1: jealous. We're working with Trivia Fox and they're, they're amazing. Uh, uh, yep. But Falso, Fred's yep. a layout wizard and that's great. Um, right. And also I went into it thinking like, I'm a good writer. I write for a living. It's not going to need that much editing. And then I look at an edit. I'm like, why did she change that? I go to the dictionary and I'm like, Oh, my usage is archaic. <laughs> <laughs> I write, I write like a lawyer.
0: Write like a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> Whither therefore yep. we shall go forth. And
1: <laughs> oh my God! Right. I should write that as a parody game. Yeah.
0: <laughs> right. Totally. Right. Uh Darren. If it helps, your uh, your video did freeze. So if you want to go flip to the, am I frozen again? You're right. frozen again. That's fine. So I'm gonna ask, but I'm gonna throw this to you, question wise, uh, for you, Darren. That uh, so what's the most important project management skill you need to learn if you're doing this yourself? Because there's a lot of them.
2: There's a lot of them, right, yeah. Um, the most important skill I need for my, to, to do this myself, well, I mean, well, the first skill is, like, don't do all this yourself, right? I mean, there's, <laughs> there's, there's no, uh, I don't think there's a person in the industry who is uh, sufficiently skilled in every possible uh, you know, kind of like manifestation of the problem that you might come across, right? Um, there are some people who have an astonishingly broad set of skills, um, but even their games, like, you can tell, you know, maybe this one thing, could, you know, might have, like, benefited from having somebody else involved, right? So there's a... Uh, I, there's You have to uh, manage a team, right? Like, almost no game comes together without a team being involved and so, the most important part of it is making sure those people are interacting usefully, right? And uh, and and are, everybody understands kind of like what their part is, what they're responsible for, at least a general sense of when it's expected to be done, uh, and you know how it comes together. Somebody's got to manage that process, and it usually winds up being the publisher. So, I know. Yeah, I, I turned it off because I was frozen.
0: Right. Well, go ahead. So you have, you want to add on to that?
3: And, you know, part of that skill um, is knowing when people have given as much as they can give and you got to kind of move on and find more people to fill in the ranks because, you know, a lot of people aren't doing this for, you know, the money. And sometimes you can afford professionals and sometimes you can't. And a lot of people show up with the best intentions of, you know, helping, and then you 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 set standards to what help looks like, and they're like, oh well, that sounds like work, and well, you're trying to come up with like a professional product,
0: right? Right, and so one of the things, uh, Jason, sorry, you were going to say something? Go ahead, if you we got some time. So I'm looking at. The uh, clock, I would say so.
4: the one exception to what Darren said is Avery Alder, who can in <laughs> right? fact well, make an entire game and send it to you completely all finished. Right. Start to finish. Not a bad
2: call. Not
0: a bad call, yeah. Right. Truth. Um, Okay. So one of the other things that's come up, and it's been, um, again, I've been around for a long time, and this is one of the the things that has been a more recent development. A recent development in, like, five years, not, like, today. Um, But we're talking about sensitivity consults, right? Getting Mm -hmm. someone who is not you, uh, and particularly if you are a straight white dude, um, and he says, as he, like, does Vogue's around a little bit. Um, so what, uh, April, looking at that, like how important is that for your, your manuscript?
1: I think it's really important. Um, I think the timing is uh, something that's important to get right in the sense that you want to have enough that your sensitivity consultant is going to be able to like see what you're doing and how you're implementing it. Um, but you want to be early enough in the stage that if you get fundamental feedback that something needs to change, you're able to do that without it having, um, you know, a negative impact on other contingent deadlines that have already come up. So um, I've, I've, I've been through it once um, and uh, sort of navigating it. Definitely, um, you know, after the sensitivity consult, I was lucky enough to be able to go back and be like, I'm thinking about this for the art. What do you, does that sound good? Or like, you know, would you be willing to send me some references for like pre-colonial Filipinx, you know, attire that our scoundrel can wear? And um, and that's not something that I could do. Uh, And particularly, I think, I think you know there is there is a level that a sensitivity reader can do making sure that you're not doing harm fundamentally with the content of the game and also that the experience of reading the game doesn't make somebody tense up right so like maybe you implemented it right in the end but you're taking on a topic that is often done wrong so how do you make sure you do not trigger the the concern at the start so that the experience of reading it is welcoming um, and then I think, you know, there's, there's, there's an amount of sensitivity reader can do. And then there's a point at which, um, you have to include people other than yourself. If you want your game to be, uh, you know, as, as diverse and welcoming as possible, right? Like I can't write about all aspects of the queer experience, but, uh, we have five contributing authors in the core book and then more for stretch goals. So, um, have wound up being able to cover a lot of ground. And I couldn't do that even with a sensitivity reader. So if I wanted to write about, you know, Heian period Japan and say, you know, the historical records that we have uh, erase women and here's like my imagination of what like, you know, queer sapphic love in Heian period Japan might be, a sensitivity reader is is probably not a, a powerful enough tool to make that like something that I could write. <laughs> Um right yeah i i need to i need to go to somebody with with different experiences and connections to different cultures to do that
0: sure right and in particular i think with um how you know how how important it is to to you know not only reach the audience but reach the audience in a way that they feel you know good like you said going back to your point about not having them go when they see the topic even, let alone even before they crack open the book, right? Like that kind of thing is important to to make sure to to be able to reach the audience and have people play your game. Um, just gonna put it through, did anyone else have anything they want to add on? Mo, go ahead.
3: Um, so my game Shibuya Nights is set in a fantasy city called Shibuya, which looks a lot like modern day Tokyo. and. Um, I got some really good feedback um, from sensitivity readers who you know I brought it to the process because you know I, I don't want to step on anybody's toes. I've had my toes stepped on having paid for a game or movie or whatever <laughs> you know taxes and um, you know you have this point where you're like all right, I don't want to be the bad person in this, so um let's let's start off right and you know I lived in Tokyo for a couple years. Um, by no means am I an expert in Tokyo. Um, I I got to the point where I found some people who were really um, comfortable once they understood, I was trying to remix a modern urban setting, you know, that um, Tokyo is today. It, it was until uh, a couple of years ago, the largest city in the world. So if you're gonna do like an urban city, setting, there's almost no more urban than Tokyo. Um, but you know, Leaning away from samurai and um, kind of traditional depictions of religion and leaning more into the type of stuff that you're going to see in anime, which is a lot more broad. Um, You know, my kid is a Ninjago fan, whatever that means. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, this is is weird. But um, yeah, so... Just doing something that was much more a mashup, much more San Francisco, um, from Big Hero Six, and much less. Oh, this is feudal someplace that I've never been and I'm not steeped in the culture of.
0: Yeah, it, I, I. I. I think. I think. Uh, sorry, Jason, you wanted to say something. Go ahead. Oh no,
4: when Mo's done.
0: Are, are oh, you he done? Muted. He's done. Yeah.
4: Okay, I've. I have one of these projects right now that's been extremely kind of problematic which is i've had somebody turn in an absolutely detailed and complete six edition version of western hero with the genre is the old west and 99 percent done and i love the western genre i live in a small western town of 200 people in the old west basically i love the genre I know a lot about the genre. Uh, I've been going through it and making changes. I wrote my introduction, my own introduction for it. But some genres are just difficult there there's there's mm-hmm. there is a reading of the Old West where it's this wonderful action packed genre that anyone can participate in, and then there's the reading of the Old West that it's a race war and i I I'm still editing it and thinking about it, editing <laughs> it, thinking about it, and figuring out how, how, what I want to do with it. So, yeah, what, what everybody else said, very important, also tricky sometimes.
1: Right. So
4: if
2: I, 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 I wanted to make a quick point point. Oh, what. I'm sorry.
0: Okay, so I was going to make a quick joke. Go to Jason in April, okay? <laughs> it's my, jo- my joke is this bag. Why is it attached to this baggage? What is going on? Here? <laughs> what is happening? Yeah. Right. Yeah, I know. Aaron and then April.
2: April made a point of saying that, like, part of what was, uh, what was beneficial about their process was uh, that they were able to kind of like bring the different writers and people together uh, as part of that project, everybody with a common goal in mind and sharing that information about each other's uh, purpose. I had the benefit of working on um, Chris Spivey's Haunted West. With another book that is you know, kind of like absolutely upfront right, yeah. wrestling with the the problematic nature of the Western as a uh, at you know as a genre for it. And um the piece that I was contributing to it uh, was Mexico of the Old West, right? like my my uh, my piece of it was set there. And the before we even got very far into writing it, we managed to have, you know, like put a bunch of people's heads together uh, to discuss you know like what what each others were doing and and like the the individual problems they had and being able to take those problems on as a group uh is an enormous benefit right like i don't think uh, i don't think any it's very difficult to do a sensitivity read of something by yourself i guess it's kind of like the point i'm trying to to, to get oh. across right like that should always be kind of like a group chore for everybody you know to 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 make that right
4: Oh, I'm not. you are. No, I know you're I'm not that's doing my it my right. That's my yeah.
2: point. I just wanted to kind of like underline that, yeah. right? Like you can't, you, and, and it's, it's, yeah. it's a nightmare to bring it, even if you have one, you know, to say I have one other sensitivity reader for that, that's an enormous amount of like effort to put on one person's shoulders, right? Like hopefully you've got multiple people who can take a look at this and they can talk to each other about it. So
1: yeah. Yeah, I wanted April. to add something about bringing in um, contributing authors as well. Uh, Which is, you know, the very genesis of the idea would be, like, gee, it would be cool to get a take on, like, this historical setting where people used swords. And, like, I don't have a connection to that culture, but we could find someone who did. And and before, like, making the pitch, that sort of evolved into, like, well, why don't we just see what, like, people with diverse experiences of, of queerness... And diverse backgrounds in other dimensions feel like pitching that seems to resonate with like this core concept right so it's not like i have my vision of what you should write it's like i like what you write and i know that you have experiences that i don't have that i want to that i want to be able to represent and be welcoming of so like what are you going to pitch and we got stuff that's like just incredibly creative we got a coffee house that's magically linked to another fantasy world, and you're facing gentrification here, and you're facing invaders there, and like that's charming and delightful, and like also very fanficky because coffee shop AUs are are just treasures. Um, <laughs> so I just want to throw that out as a way of interacting with contributing authors. Um, that really is uh, like being excited about uh, what they're going to bring to it, right? Like you're not going to lose out on somebody's background by giving them more freedom to pitch what they want to talk about instead of saying, you know, I want you to write this thing that I think you know about because of your ethnicity or something. Uh, So it's, it's, it's been great.
0: Awesome. Okay. I'm going to move us on just cause we got some more topics and we want to save some time for questions. Uh, we're going to try to mash this together about printing distribution and sales and marketing. So we're going to kind of l- try to lump that together. Uh, so, um, uh, Mo talking to you with printing, cause uh, you recently got your book printed. Uh, so I'm assuming you, have you, what are some, some pitfalls and what are some, some challenges you ran into trying to get your book in a paper format? Um, the,
3: I, I was very fortunate because, uh, my designer, um, Ruben, uh, his email is uh, saves versus DM. <laughs> he, uh, we know Ruben. Ruben's great. Ruben's good people. Ruben's yeah. awesome. Um, he has done this rodeo before. So he delivered me um, a file that worked. And <laughs> you, you really want to find someone who has done this before, or you really want to just invest some, you sketch, block out some time to invent the wheel. Um, like, those are really your options, because, um, yeah, uh, I went through drive through and uh, I, because, um, you know, with COVID coming out this year, I, I'm like, I, I really want this to be out in the world. Um, in California, everything was closed down in Los Angeles, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. it's like, um, I'm not getting together with my friends opening a book, but you know, I'm hearing that people on the East Coast are and that sounds awesome. So um, you know, and who knows what's coming in the winter. So I may do a offset print run um down the road, but you know, I I wanted to fulfill my backers. I wanted to um get this out in the world. Um you know, people have been excited about it and, you know, in touch with me saying they're waiting for it. So um I did a, a relatively small print run and um yeah.
0: Getting getting it out there.
3: My my distributor over there, he um <laughs> he, he has the books, you know, I I have some books. If you need some books, let me know. <laughs>
0: yeah, right? So, yes. All right. So Jason, going into that comment then, so we may come back to like what that looks like to find a publisher, find a printer, and all that kind of stuff. But what does distribution look like for a first-time RPG kind of publisher, even if you sell publisher with someone?
4: Well, you have... you have <clears throat> when we, we should define what we mean by distribution. So mm-hmm. if you mean distribution in the sense of you supply books to a place and they get it into stores, plus some other things... Uh, you're, you're kind of looking at us or Studio Two, really. Right. Fundamentally, uh, you're looking at one of the two of us, for a first-time, you know, role-playing game publisher. Um, but there are other options. I mean, there's a lot of excellent print-on-demand options. For example, you can have things not only available electronically on Drive RPG, but they'll print them physically. You can take the exact same file that you use for Drive RPG you can purchase an isbn and a barcode and make it available through lightning source and feed it into amazon and Mm -hmm. barnes and noble online and potentially into bookstores as well um so there's a lot of different ways to distribute for a first time uh uh, for a first time publisher um i don't know as much about twit about about itch.io as i should uh my two assistants here at ipr who are 17 and 21, respectively, spend all of their time there. <laughs> IPR is kind of the old old person distributor thing, as far as they're concerned.
2: Um, there are there are two or three Metatopia panels on li- literally about yeah. introducing Itchio and things like that to you, especially if you're old folks like us. Right? Yeah. So, or Jason,
0: about, let's know, talk about that so. traditional one, and then we'll go to April because April talked about having the right. having her game on Itch and that. So, we'll, we can go go to that topic next. So. What like what? First time publisher. I want. I want this book in in a game store, my friend. How can you? What does this look like? All right. So I, I'm not going to speak for Jim over at Studio Two.
4: I'll just speak for us strictly because I'm not sure absolutely. precisely what Jim's business arrangements are. Okay. So you would come to us. <clears throat> you'd send me either a physical or electronic copy. You'd give your basically your 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 elevator pitch by email usually, or sometimes people sometimes ask me to call them on the phone and we have a phone conversation about it. Um, they give me a brief pitch based on that. I say, okay, um, you know, I'd like to have a look. Uh, send me, send me it physically or send me it electronically is usually fine. Um, I or one of my assistants have a look at it and decide whether it's suitable. Uh, then we usually request a certain amount. Now that amount can be as little as 50 copies and it can be as high as two thousand copies. Yeah. Generally, these days, I ask for one to 200 physical copies of something. Um, and that's what I'm looking to move in a year, really. What I think I can move in a year. Now, sometimes I'm disappointed, and, and so is the publisher. Sometimes I'm really uh, 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 underestimating. That's happened too, where I go, wow, I, I could have sold, I could sell a thousand of these. And then I go back and say, do you have more? Did you print more? Mm-hmm. Can you get more printed? Um, do you want me to go into the finances of it? Yeah, just quickly, like just just. Okay. I mean, you don't necessarily go percentages, but what does that look
0: like financially?
4: Uh, so we're a consignment house. So people, we don't actually buy anything. People consign us things, and lots of anywhere from fifty to two thousand, and uh, we pay out quarterly on a percentage basis, uh, depending on whether it's sold to a retailer, direct to customer, at a convention, electronically, and so forth, uh, and of course, uh, you know the margins involved we try to keep the margin as high as we can for the publisher in all of this but especially when selling to retailers because that's the tricky part because a retailer has to make their money the distributor has to make their money and then that can sometimes leave you the publisher very pinched on the bottom end so we try to keep that number high um i'll point out in all fairness to amazon amazon advantages uh basic payment to publishers is not terrible. Mm -hmm. Uh, all things considered. It's not bad. Um, You still have to pay to ship to them, and that has to be factored in, things like that. And their system's complicated. So complicated, most role-playing game book publishers prefer to go through some place that does that work for them because it's a very complicated shipping system. But um, they're not bad. Um, So there's, again, there's a lot of options.
2: Awesome. And some of the new programs that they have there are actually pretty friendly, which is a, a nice change. So oh
4: i I'm more referring we, to the, the the back end of it, which hopefully none of you will ever learn about there's <laughs> yeah well, <laughs> no. there's a lot that goes into them being willing to take a sure. box of books
0: right awesome so April, let's talk about itch a little bit because it is a very huge platform for for games coming up, and it's it's you know I refuse to use the term the new hotness, even though I just did um so yeah, so what is your experience like being a publisher on itch
1: so I haven't um published on DriveThruRPG. I've used DriveThruRPG and from that perspective I'm honestly not sure what's baffling about itch, right? Like it's a different platform that where you can upload stuff and they take a cut and then they pay you, right? So, like I'm not sure why it's confusing. Um the things that uh seem to be unique are you get to slide what um what uh br- fraction of the sale price itch takes as they're cut. Um, and then people have figured out ways to do neat things like community copies. Um, there's the sort of pay what you want model where itch's interface encourages tipping, and that's cool. Um, so there may be some of that just like, this is, this, this is not a sort of archetypical economic interaction where like I have this commodity and you're gonna give me this money and then we don't care about each other. Um, it sort of has some subtle ways of fostering the idea that, like, there are human beings on both sides of this. Um, and that's neat. It's always nice to get a tip, you know, I've set a price and someone wants to pay me more, or it's pay what you want and people do, right? Like, that's neat. Um, and, and it feels good to be able to do that to support people as well. Uh, and then I think, you know, culturally, there's a lot of um, fun queer experimental stuff that winds up on itch. Uh, I don't know that drive RPG has like a video games or visual novels uh, section to it, and itch does, right? No, itch, yeah. itch is sort of like a one stop shop for um, for indie uh, games that you can print or that you can play on your computer. So you, it, it's it's, um, it's been a neat experience. I did want physical copies of my my first game, End of the Line. Which is uh, descended from the Queen game, where you're the crew of a sentient vessel on the way to being scrapped, and at the end you'll be asked if you say goodbye. And so what I did was I found a like place where you can order cards printed with your specifications, and made sure that there's like a high quality, you know, file that you get with the itch download that you can just send right over to them and and get that printed. And it keeps it's on my list to one day you know, set up with one of the services that will, you know, will pay you a commission when someone buys your thing and then print it and ship it to them. But this is what happens when I don't have a publisher is that's on the back burner for a year or more <laughs> and right. while, I, while I work on other right. stuff.
0: Okay, so what I'm gonna do is go to Mo comment and then uh, Jason, sure if you got a quick one and then we'll open to see if there's any questions from the chat.
3: Uh, I have a question for April. Um, how how much time did you really spend interacting with your, uh, your community on Itch?
1: Uh, itch wasn't the place where I did the interaction, right? So, oh. like, I could see people interacting there, but, um, like, Twitter and Discord are the places where I do the most interaction with the community. Uh, so when, I, I am aware that there are forums and comments and everything, Um, and I do send updates to people who have bought it, because, like, people who bought the old ugly alpha version of Thirsty Sword Lesbians are getting all the versions up to the very pretty final PDF. Um, so I do updates, but um, I'm not I'm not active in the forums on itch. That's not the place we're having those conversations.
0: Yeah. Jason, you had a...
4: Oh, I just wanted to to tell April that that Mo and I have also been bitten by the Descended from the Queen bug. <laughs> we, we both have our own Descended from the Queen card games we've been deciding. Nice.
1: <laughs> nice well. yeah yeah i got to play it with alex before it had a name um and then sort of held on to my hack i'm like it would be rude to release this before for the queen is out so it just sort of sat on that for a while and then and then uh, got it out there awesome but it's great okay, It's what? it's amazing like how a simple concept can make such a different experience at the table
4: are you ready for questions awesome. from the chat
0: i think we're ready for questions from the chat
4: all right, great. So um, Genesis of Legend asks, uh, how would you recommend that a new designer proceed with their first game, publishing for free to gain an audience or for a price to gather financial resources to support their work?
0: All right, so Mo, go ahead. Take that one.
3: Uh, I feel like I did it, I'd say, not as well as I could have. And I do wish I had um, a, a a freemium-like, uh, Quick start um, copy out there Um, during my crowd uh, my Kickstarter um, Root came out with theirs and I mean it was beautiful and you know, you saw this 26 page Game with character sheets and everything you're like, of course. I'm giving you money, you know, um And I think there's just really an opportunity to um, play test to work out kinks to build brand um, and I wish I was on itch and um, drive through with that long before I even did my crowdsourcing.
0: I'm going to caution people though, is don't compare yourself to magpie. Don't be like, yeah. Hey, okay. there's this really successful publisher that did this quick kickstart. Why doesn't mine look
3: like that? <laughs> like, but perhaps, the, yeah. but the, their quick start was beautiful and yes. amazing and thorough. And yeah, I'm like, sure. Not looking at the board game, which came before, they already had brand. They have money to throw behind marketing. But I'm like, you know, yeah, you know, it's good.
2: I always right. I just it's still, still a good idea. idea to try to do it. Yes, but also, you know, you you're not going to have that kind of money to to uh, start something like that, or the you know the the Sentinels Kickstarter, uh, quick start thing that came out. You know, was also pretty much funded by an enormously successful board game before. You know, they uh, that. they they could do that, right? He's right. Don't kill yourself, you know, or don't uh, uh, knock yourself for not being able to do something like that, but learn from what they did, right? It's worth their time to do it. It's probably worth your time
0: to do it as well. Anyone else want to hop on that one, or are we going to go to the next question? Jason?
4: If I may. Uh, Exactly what they've said, followed by, quickly, by a very well thought out and planned crowdfunding project. So... First the promo version, then follow it quickly with a very thought, well thought out, financially thought out uh, crowdfunding project. Right.
0: OK, Do we have another question?
4: The next question, oh. uh, this this popped up when you, we were talking about um, editing. How does the process of cutting a feature go for you from Why Contain It?
1: Great. A feature film?
4: I think we're talking <laughs> no.
1: about
2: cutting maybe things from your game. I hope. Yeah, like a mechanic, oh, right?
1: right. So, yeah. so before there was a public beta, there was a monstrous hydra of a of a set of rules that, like, I know this is too much, but I want to see what people reach for and, like, what works best. Um, and so, like, when you go into that, it's very easy to sort of, like, cut something that you love. Um, otherwise, you know, it, if I'm cutting something, it's generally, I haven't had the experience of being, like, really attached to a feature and then needing to cut it. It's basically like, oh, thank goodness, I can get rid of that and, like, make make things leaner and simpler and more accessible. Um, that's just right. my personal feeling about it.
2: Yeah, the other thing I would I mean, say that, to that, that takes too. Us back to the that takes us back to the playtesting, uh, you know, question, right? I mean, this is what that process is for: is to find out what pieces, you know, like work, what pieces don't work, and that sort of thing. So, I mean, a, a successful playtest will point you right at what you know needs to either go or be redone. Um, and frequently, the question, frequently the answer is, you know, like this can just leave. This can, this is just getting in the way of the process, and I can, you know, just sort of a uh, uh, patch over the hole that it's left, uh, you know, with 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 something simple, right? With a, just a simple transition, instead of there doesn't need to be a mechanic here at all, or something, right? This just can can just happen um but that's the sort of thing that playtesting will tell you so i mean like the process is do good playtesting record everything that you're playtesting uh and you know figure out what
0: whether each individual piece of your game needs to be there and one more thing i'm gonna oh somewhere you want to go? Ahead. you first i'm um,
3: most of my experience was actually um taking words out because if i didn't refine the text I was going to have to pay for another piece of art. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah. uh, lay, Layout will dictate a lot of that. But, you know, I really fell in love with a um, build your own um, spell magic system um, that maybe uh, Forged in the Dark hadn't really done before. And I, and I really liked it. And, you know, people who were running this game when I wasn't around kind of came back and said, look, can I just have a list of spells? You know, they really wanted a pick list that was, you know, a lot more story gamey and a lot less, um, champions hero gamey. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, if, if,
1: if, yeah, if I could add something else, um, sort of on the flip side of that, occasionally there would be a request and I'd be like, I don't want to include that for reasons, but I've heard that several times. So like mm-hmm. people were like, why aren't there sex moves? I'm like, cause it's- it's not a sex game. Um, but like if you look in the variant rules chapter, I wound up writing some intimacy moves. Like, like this is what I would do, you know, to to evoke, like if you wanted to have more of a focus on like the moment where someone lowers their last guard, like with you. Like that's the trigger, and then the question relates to the character's um conflict. But I also write, like, this is how this will change the way the game feels. And like right. this is these are some pitfalls to avoid, right? Like the end goal isn't sex or like this, this kind of intimacy, you're not like playing to a goal. Um, It's not like a reward. We don't want to like mechanize this stuff too much, but you know, some people are going to enjoy it. And so there are some things that, you know, either by request would be added or are features that I would take out. Um, But if I thought there were people who would prefer to have it, I'd be like, here's why, here's why the design is the way it is. Here's why that's not there. Here's what would change if you included it. And if you, Think that sounds great then like here are the rules here are rules on you more detailed pvp duels if you want to if you want to like actually go at each other instead of just crossing swords and flirting and like having insights about each other like but that's going to change the focus of the game uh so so in that sense i kind of got away with you know not removing those but um being transparent about certain of, you know, these are your options. I think hacking games is great and fun and want to give people the insight and the tools to do it uh, and made a chapter
2: for that. It's it's always a fascinating editorial question. How much of that goes into the actual product of the game, and how much of that is like, you know, what this shouldn't even be in here at all? But if you wander by my website, there's a there's a page that talks about this or something, right? You know, um, the the different ways you can make that available to the audience, and how much you make them go through to find it, right? You know, is, uh, it, is an interesting editorial question for every game, of uh,
0: you know. And I'll put forward that if you cut something, uh, writing rarely goes bad. Right. Um, and so if you have an idea and you cut it from this game, you may make a game with it, or that'll be your second game or become a part of a different thing. So, so just because you cut it doesn't mean you have killed it. You've just decided to go have it play in a different room. Right. Um, so I think we have time for one more question and then we'll kind of give our final, uh, you know, where you can find your stuff. So Stephanie, is there another question?
4: Dragonologist, Uh, is there any advice you might change for publishing a book of LARPs instead of
3: tabletop?
2: Anyone gonna jump on that one, or my one uh, uh, attempt at making at making and selling a larp product uh, was uh, was was unsuccessful unfortunately. Um, and so uh, if other people have figured out precisely how they can in fact actually uh, monetize larp rules that are not connected to an organization, I would be delighted to hear it myself. Um, what I you know products that are made for larps. Uh, tend not to be commercial ones, and so the commercial questions about that kind of like get taken out of the uh, you know, or or the 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 selling of the product is not to the commercial portion of it, right? Like generally, the successful LARPs are commercial in and of themselves as an enterprise, right? Like you're, they're paid memberships to the LARP and that sort of thing, mm.
3: um,
2: and so the product uh, is being made without consideration for whether it will be a successful product standing on its own separate from the LARP. Um, Efforts to, like I said, to make products that will generate their own LARPs uh, are an entire kind of like separate question from that. And they tend to be on a pretty small scale, look pretty much just like doing indie RPGs, right? So.
1: April, you had a comment or? No, story? my video went out, and then I waved hello when I got
0: back. That's all.
3: <laughs> right, there you go.
0: Awesome. Okay, so I think we're... Oh, Jason, oh, Jason had a thought. Oh, Jason, go ahead. Uh,
4: I, I'd say these books are very hard to sell, what Darren said. Yeah. I've had a very difficult time selling them. Uh, I was approached uh, by a fairly large and well-funded LARPing group to consult with them on creating some LARP books that would be part of the package people buy when they buy to go right. do these kind of elaborate adventures. That it was going to be very. They wanted questions about printing and making deluxe versions that are packaged a certain way and stuff. So that might work. I mean, you could you could kind of sell them as a keepsake for people that are actually doing the lark. Lark, but I don't think they stand alone as products on their own in a store
2: necess- right. necessarily. Exactly. Yeah. And we've tried, and if somebody else figures out a way to do it, we'd be delighted to see it. But please uh, let us I, know. Yeah, I love yeah. to be wrong. Yeah, let yeah. us know if you can figure it out. So yeah,
3: and I know a couple people who get paid um, for being professional Larpers in the corporate space. Sure. Oh,
2: Larp is Larp is uh, you know monetizable a bunch of different ways. Making independent books for it is not the, the way to monetize it. So.
0: OK, so with that, I think we're at one minute. So uh, we're going to go around. Again, if you could just tell everyone where to find your stuff and how to find you and what's going on. Uh, uh, April, would you like to go ahead?
1: All right, if you remember only one URL from where to find me, make it sword.gay. That is our <laughs> Kickstarter. We're wrapping up this week, uh, but we've already unlocked over 30 stretch goals and uh, and going strong. So. Uh, if if you like the sound of it, come check it out. Download the trial copy and play some Thirsty Sword Lesbians. Thanks, Awesome. J- Jason,
0: if you want to give
4: you a little spiel. Come check out uh, many, many, many different role-playing game products at www.indiepressrevolution.com
3: Awesome. Mo? Uh, you can find me at ashyfeet.com. You can see um, some of my films. You can see some of my games. And uh, I am sometimes on Twitter. I think I'll get back on Twitter um, now. <laughs> <laughs> this is it. I, I am. decided right now. This is like, literally, in,
0: in 20 minutes, I'll be over there. So let's go. Right. <laughs> and Darren, if you, uh, you want to give your...
2: Uh, if you want to uh, hire me individually as a you know for a project, I am available at darren at exposure.com or darrenwatts at yahoo.com. Uh, and you can also check out my podcasts at explainthis.podbean.com.
0: Thank you. And my name is Jonathan. I've been your moderator. You can find me at firestorm-inc.com or firestorminc.itch uh, or uh, at firestorminc uh, with a K. It's always a K. Uh, I thought it'd be great to have a pun for a name. It has caused me more trouble than I care to think about. <laughs> uh, and thank you very much for your time. Thank you for attending and enjoy the rest of Metatopia.
2: Absolutely. Thanks for coming, everybody.